Okay, good morning. Um, today's daf is daf Tes Vov. Today's shir is the Ilunishmas Ilana Basvili. I'm going to go from the Gemara towards the end of Yud Dalad Amud Beis 14b. Um, yeah, sure, it's Erev Yom Kippur final. I feel like it's, even though we started the New Year on Rosh Hashanah, I feel like Yom Kippur is the official New Year. So in a way, last half of, uh, of the stage. Um, so the Gemara, so yesterday's daf, we did, we brought the Mishnah which said you're allowed to send gifts. There's an interesting discussion and this I should just mention by the way, are you allowed to give or receive things on Yom Tov? I'm sure you've heard people say things along the lines of you're not allowed to make a Kenyan, you're not allowed to make an acquisition. So the general principle is borrowing um Buying, trading, we know is osur. It's because you might come to write down. You keep accounts. You keep track of your business transactions. So you might come to write down. So business dealings are osur on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Similarly, borrowing in general is osur on Shabbos and Yom Tov because people often record their loans. Now, as we touched on earlier a few days ago, there are times when we allow you. Like, let's say you need some fruit and your friend has the fruit store. So you go to him and you say, I'm taking some apples and we'll deal with it after Yom Tov. You don't tell him I'm taking apples at uh, five rand apple or whatever it is. You just, you don't discuss the prices and you can look in the halacha for the tech, other technicalities, but you're allowed to do that. And so too, we generally try avoid giving gifts or receiving gifts because a Kenyan, you're affecting an acquisition, which according to some is similar to trade, um, which is in a way similar to trading. However, for Simchas Yom Tov, it would be allowed. And for things that you need on Shabbos and Yom Tov, would also be allowed. Um, a very pertinent example to this time of year, we know that on the first day of Sukkot, you have to own the Lulav and Esrog. For the first day of Sukkot, it's not good enough. The other days of Sukkot, you can borrow your friend's Lulav and Esrog and stuff, but on the first day of Sukkot, you have to own it. So what do people do? Is Let's say I have a Lulav and you want to use it. Now we can't use the term borrow because then you don't fulfill the mitzvah. It has to belong to you on first day of, of Sukkot. So I give it to you. I say this is a gift to you. It's yours. But on condition you give it back to me. But what do we see? For a mitzvah, you are allowed to give someone something to someone on Yom Tov. And so too on Shabbos. And so too often if you're taking food or a present to someone, it could add to Simchas Yom Tov, as we'll see on the page. So that could be um, leniencies. Why are we discussing sending people gifts on Yom Tov? It would be say, similarly something you need for Shabbos Yom Tov. Let's say I'm coming to you for a meal and I'm bringing the dessert. So I can give it to you as a gift. Or even if I'm not coming to you as a meal, I can give the cake to you as a gift so for you to use on Shabbos or Yom Tov. That would be the general principle behind it. But just for, for Stam to just give a gift or to receive a gift, especially on Shabbos, is not so straightforward. Um, on Yom Tov it's a little bit more lenient, but also not. we don't just do it. Okay, now let's go into the Gomorrah. So the Mishnah mentioned that you can send your friend clothes. And you can send him clothes even if they have kilayim. Now the Gemara is going to be bothered by this. What's he going to do with clothes with kilayim? Remember, kilayim is a mixture of wool and linen. You're not allowed to wear it. What's he going to do with kilayim? You give him a, you send him a suit that's full of kilayim. You send him a robe that's full of kilayim. So he says, It makes sense why you send to send him clothes which are sewn. Okay, he can wear them. Or even to send him clothes which are not sewn together. He can use it as a robe to drape over himself. What's he going to do with kilayim? 
Sis Today, maybe you will say he can use it to sit on top of sit it, sit on it. Remember, use it as a chair cushion or something like that, or as a blank or a sheet to spread down and sit on. He says no. The pasuk says you're not allowed to put it over you. You're not allowed to put shafnas, a mixed kilaim, over you, but you can spread it underneath you. Aval Omru, so that's the door I saw. Aval Omru Chachomim also last saw his cane. Shemet Tichrach Loinimal Bisoro, but the Chachomim said, You're not allowed to do that in case a long thread um, falls over you. And then it says, If the Kilaim is on you, it will add to your warmth, etc. So you're not allowed to sit on a chair which has Kilaim. You're not allowed to lie on a mat, a blanket that's made of, of Kilaim, in case some of the threads wrap over. Your skin. Your Rashi says, and there might be uh, um, thick threads, and which add to your um, uh, long thick. Um, sorry, so yeah, they have yeah, they might be thick threads which add to the warmth. Or since the ikar, the garment, is providing warmth, and there are a few threads that are over you, it's a problem. But you're not allowed to sit on a chair. Or on a mat, or lie on a blanket which has kilayim. So you, this, so again, we're stuck with the Mishnah says you can send your friend a kilayim cloth on Yontav. What's he going to do with it? He can't put it on his body. He can't sit on it. So he says v'chitaim in the matzig midi beni beni. Maybe he'll suggest. Okay, so put something else. Add it as a layer to the cushion. Put the the kilayim cloth down, and then put another cloth, another mat over it. Rebbe said in the name of the holy congregation of Yerushalayim, even if you have 10 mats, one on top of the other, and the kilayim is at the bottom of them, you're still not allowed to sleep on them. So actually, this gazera that you're not allowed to rest on kilayim, is regardless whether there's something on top of the kilayim, or the kilayim is lower down. So again, so we so Ella the villain. We must be saying use it as a screen, as like a curtain. I he's sending you this cloth to hang as a curtain or to hang as a screen between a door. Says Why is a curtain subject to tuma? Again, a curtain should be considered part of the house and not subject to tuma. So why Because the Shama sometimes warms himself with him. He goes and stands in the doorway and wraps the screen around him or, or, or leans right up against the curtains so that he stays warm. So again, if you send this curtain full of kilayim to him, he can't use it because the Shamas is going to use it to warm himself. So we're still stuck with why would you be allowed to and what would be the purpose of sending your friend a gift of a cloth with kilayim in it. So the Gemara answers top of Tez Vovam and Aleph top of 15. A elabakashin. No, we're dealing with hard material, stiff material. And Rashi explains, but Godim Kashim Sha'in Mishamimim Mutaleshevalehem. Hard garments which do not warm, stiff material which does not provide warmth because of its stiffness, you can sit on it. And we see Vikihod Omaravuna Braid Rav Yeshua Hai Namti Gamda Danere Sharia. And this is what Ravuna, the son of Rabbi Yeshua, said that this felt 
this hard felt of neresh, a certain type of felt, sharia, you're allowed to sit on it. And further on, Rav Papa, Rav Papa says, Ardalin Mishim Kilaim. Ardalim do not are not a problem of um, of kilayim. Um, this is at some sort of half sock, half shoe, if I understood Rashi correctly. But basically, they would take uh, this material and then they would put leather around or on top of it. And by the heel, as support, they would sometimes put semerupishtan kilayim. So he says, these ardalayim are not a problem of kilayim. Now, again, why not? Um, because it's stiff kilayim that's put by the heel of the shoe that you don't that doesn't add warmth. And Omarova honey throw it to Pishti Aimbohem Mishum Kilaim to be Zrani Aishwe Mishum Kilaim. And Rova says similarly, to hold a money pouch that's made of kilaim in your lap is not a problem. Again, because the coins rushes, because the coins make it stiff, and therefore it is not going to really warm you up. But if it's a seed bag, a sack for seeds, that you would not be allowed to put on your lap because that would add warmth and be a problem of kilayim. Ravashi, Omar Ravashi says, Ravashi says, now either of them you can hold in your lap because it's not normal to use it for warmth. Okay, there's a lot of interesting points to discuss in kilayim. Just one interesting thing Toss is going to hear is this concept of, so we've said a hard baguette, you can sit on it. Tosos wants to know, can you wear it? You have this, I don't know, you have a cloth, a blanket made out of very stiff material. Are you allowed to wrap it over your shoulders or is it kilayim? Do we say since it's stiff, it doesn't really provide warmth? Or at the end of the day, if it's wrapped, not just sitting on it, wrapped around it, it does provide warmth. And just to end off this sugya with, a, with a, an amazing story. So there was the... the um, this was in, Lith- in Lithuania before they went to Eretz Yisrael. The Chazonish set up his sister with the Stapler gone. The Stapler was from um, Yisrael Yaakov Kanievsky. He's actually the father, one of the foremost sages of our days, Rav Chaim Kanievsky. His father was a phenomenal, phenomenal Talmud Chochem, often referred to as the Kihilas Yaakov, the name of his Sefer, um, and, uh, but also known as the Stapler gone a phenomenal and he said so he, the Chazanish set him up with his sister so he thought you know what I'm going to have to travel on this so the stapler was thinking he says you know what I'm going to have to travel a long time on the train to get to my to get to the date I'll stay up the whole night learning and tomorrow night I'll sleep on the train for the day before I get to my date I don't have to worry so he stayed up the whole night learning he went on to the train and he noticed that the seats of the train were made out of this kilayim material. And we've just learned you're not allowed to sit on this on kilayim. So he had to stand the whole train ride. So not only did he not sleep the night before, he also didn't sleep the night of the thing. And he fell asleep on his date. <laughs> and the Chazanisha's sister was very unimpressed with her brother. She said, you set me up with this guy who falls asleep on a date. You know, what sort of person is that? So the Chazanish, uh, he said, you know what, let me look into it. He investigated and you know what, they found out he had a very good excuse and he was very pious and they, I guess they probably went on another date and they were happy with each other and they got married in the end. But it was just uh, quite a funny story that he, he wouldn't sit down on the train. He hadn't slept for two nights in a row because he couldn't sit on the train seats which were made out of kilayim. Okay, let's go on. In the Mishnah it says, you're not allowed to send Allah sandal ha-musmar, you're not allowed to send a sandal ha-musumar, this 
sandal with nails, kind of like studs of nails. So sandal, why can't you? It's a shoe. Why can't you send it to him? Says no, because of what what happened once long ago. Basically, Chazal came along and banned. Um, the sandal hamusmar on Shabbos and Yom Tov. I don't remember the exact story, but they were hiding in the cave from, uh, I think, Roman persecution. And then they heard a noise or something. And in terror that it was the Romans, it caused a stampede. And because lots of people were wearing these uh, shoes with nails in them. And in my mind, it's kind of like soccer studs, but nails. Um, uh, they uh, it caused a lot of death. A lot of injuries. So therefore they banned them on Shabbos and Yom Tov. So therefore you're not allowed to send them on Yom Tov. Omar Abayah, Sandal HaMasumar, Osul Nalo, Umutal Taltalo. says you're not allowed to wear it on Shabbos and Yom Tov, but it's not mukt, so you can move it. So Osul Nalo, Mishumah, says Shehoyo, Umutal Taltalo, Midiktani, Ein Mashlichin, Te Isa, Kodatok, Osul Taltalo, Ashtul Taltalo, Osul Mashlichin, Mi Boy. He says, it must, how do, Abayah says, how do I know that you're allowed to move it? It's not mukta, but you're not allowed to wear it. Because our Mishnah has to say, you can't send it as a gift on Yom Tov. You can't send it, implying that you can move it. You can move it around your house. You can move it from one cupboard to the next. You just can't send it as a gift. Now, if it was mukta, well, then never mind. You can't move it. You can't send it as a gift. Now, why isn't it mukta? Why isn't the Sadal Musma? You're not allowed to wear it on Yom Tov. You're not allowed to wear it on Shabbos. You know, things that you can't wear on Shabbos and Yom Tov are Mukta. So Rash, interesting, says, um, where was it? Let me just check that I got this right. Um, Rashi says, it's a Kli. So it sounds kind of like that. It's a Kli Shemelach It's something that you're not allowed to use. But something you're not allowed to use, let's say you leave a hammer on your dining room table. So you're allowed to move it, or on one of the chairs, you're allowed to move it for, because you need the space. So if the shoes are in the way, you can move them. Or a uh, hammer, you can use it to open nuts. You can use it for a muta purpose. If you have another thing that you could use the shoes for to get to block the door open from closing in the wind or something like that, that would also be permitted. So it seems that that seems to be um, what... Um, um, why you can still move these shoes just because they're a kli and what Rashi means when he says that they're a kli. Okay, um, then it says, You're not allowed to send a shoe that is not yet sewn together. Uh, so it's kind of a sole and uh, upper not connected. It says, Obviously, there's no use for it. It says, This is even if it's fixed together with pegs. So it's, it's still... You can't use it. Rabbi Yehuda, Omar, Af, Loi, Mina, Lovan. Rabbi Yehuda says, not in that. You're not, Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda said, you're also not allowed to send a white shoe. I, a shoe that has not yet been dyed black. Rabbi Yehuda says, you can send a black shoe, even though it hasn't been smoothed or shined, as we'll see. But you're not allowed to send a white shoe because that still requires this pizza sakir, this type of earth that blackens it. Rabbi Yossi says it's not good enough. Even a black shoe you can't send because you have to still smooth it. So you can't, it's not, no one would wear it yet. It says, but, and they're actually not arguing. They're just discussing the different ways shoes were manufactured each in their own town. Basrei Damar Bisrele Tachas. Rabbi 
Um, remember, the heart has the meat side, the side that was connected to the meat, and the, I don't know what you, what you call the hair of a cow, the fur of a cow, um, on the other side. So in the Wanra, in the Mars place, they, put, they used to put the meat side of the heart on the inside, which meant that the out part of the heart was already smooth. So as soon as it was black, it was good to go. People would wear it. But in Rabbi Yossi's town, they used to put the the meat side of the heart on the outside and it was very um, wrinkly and unsmooth so they used to have to smooth it before they would wear it so just because it's blackened doesn't mean it's ready to wear and that's why he says you need to smooth it as well but basically they, the discussion is would people wear that shoe is it considered ready to wear if it's not considered ready to wear you're not allowed to send it on Shabbos or Yom Tov so, this is the general principle anything that can be used on Yom Tov that's the Havamina of the translation Rav Sheishes allowed his Talmidim to send Tfilin to their friends on Yom Tov but didn't our Mishnah say specifically things that can be used on Yom Tov you can send? And you're not allowed to use Tefillin on Yom Tov. We generally learn it's a severe Isur. We say that this, a person should always have two Isis on him, two signs that he's got a covenant with Hashem, but more than that is problematic. So on Shabbos you have Shabbos and Bris Milah. In the weekday you have Tefillin and Bris Milah. But therefore, but if on Shabbos you'd wear your tefillin, you'd have three oisos, and that's a problem. Three signs that you have a covenant with Hashem. So you can't wear tefillin on Yom Tov. So he says, no, Sahachi Kamer. This is what he's saying. Anything that you could use on the weekday, you can send on Yom Tov. Right, very interesting. What's the, what's the pshacha? You're allowed to send a gift to someone on Yom Tov. Doesn't matter whether it is um, going to be used on Yom Tov or the next day. You can still use it on Yom Tov. Um, one second. Um, No. Just the interesting point, Rashi seems to say that you can wear tefillin on Yom Tov, um, but you don't have to. Um, but many other Rishonim learn that it's actually forbidden to put tefillin on, on Yom Tov, and that's how we learn. Um, So yeah, so that's uh, that's regarding wearing tefillin on cholamot. So what do we? What does it come out? Sorry, not cholamot. I'll come to that shortly. What does it come out? Comes out that you're not uh, you're allowed to send a gift on Shabbos Yom Tov even if it can't be on on Yom Tov even if it can't be used. So obvious question is why? How can you do that? Isn't it unnecessary 
effort on Yom Tov. So I think the, the one answer given and the simplest straightforward answer is people are always happy when they receive gifts. And therefore receiving a gift is part of Simchas Yom Tov. So you can send someone a gift that they can only use the following day. Obviously there's certain limits and this you now have to analyze. We're not going to go into it now. Rashi discusses it amongst others. But... Um, It seems that why can you not send like a sandal hamismar, this nailed shoe? Wouldn't the person be happy to receive the gift, um, etc.? So what gifts can you send and what gifts can't you send? But very clear from al is you can even send gifts that the person won't necessarily be able to use on Yom Tov. We will just, we will qualify that and say it must be though because there's a... Because of Simchas Yom Tov, the enjoyment he gets at receiving the gift. And then obviously also you would not be allowed to send something that is Mukta. Now Omar Abai, Abai says, Tfilin hol v'osiliyoton, neighbor b'milsa. Oh, once you mentioned Tfilin, let's quickly uh, discuss them. It says, Hoyo boba derech utfilim rocha. Someone who's traveling on Erev Shabbos, he sees it's turning into Shabbos and he has the Tfilin on his head. V'shok ol v'acham and the sun sets. What does he do? Meniach yoda alehem, ad shemegiel aboyso. He covers the tefillin with his hand until he reaches his house. Uh, very interesting. Why does he cover? Because you don't want people to see that you're wearing tefillin. So you cover them with your hand. And you walk home and you take them off there. You don't have to remove them on Shabbos. Why, why do you do that? Why? So Rashi points out. Because remember you can't take off your tefillin and carry them. You're not allowed to carry in a Rishul Sarabim on Shabbos. And you can't just leave the tefillin, as we'll see a bit further down the page. They're going to get stolen or ruined or eaten by a dog or something. So you have to get them home. So wearing them, wearing tefillin, is not the normal way to carry them. How would you carry tefillin? In your hands, in a tefillin bag, in your hands. So it's not the normal way of carrying them. Therefore, you're allowed to carry them home. But again, you cover them with your hands so people don't see. Similarly, someone sitting in the base midrash. Now there, your shivers, their base midrash used to usually outside the city. And he's wearing his tefillin and all of a sudden it's sunset. He can cover the tefillin with his hands until he reaches home. So we see that you can wear... That, that's how you would deal with tefillin. You're traveling and you realize that you're wearing your tefillin. It's Shabbos. Now what do you do? So you cover the tefillin and you walk home to put them safely away. challenges. Basically his challenge is going to be from another bride, which says you can't take it home. It says you take it to the nearest house. It says, yeah, the Rav Ika. If he was walking on a on the pot on the he was going on a journey and it became Shabbos and he was wearing tefillin, he covers them with his hand until he reaches the house nearest the wall. As he gets into the city, the first house there. And similarly, if he was sitting in the base midrash and then it became Shabbos. So now he can't carry his tefillin, he wears his tefillin, covers his tefillin with his hand, wearing them until he reaches the house nearest the base medrash. But again, what do we see? You can't take them home, you have to take them to the nearest house. So that contradicts our uh, Abaya who says that you can take them all the way home. So the Quran says, no, lokashi, hodomintra, hodolomintra. No, here's where it's safe to leave them, here's where it's not safe to leave them. If it's safe to leave them in the nearest house, oh, it's your good friend. And you know you'll look after them. It's a Jew and you know they'll look after them. Okay, then you put them in the nearest house. 
as you get inside the city so that you're not wearing them for longer than necessary. But if not, then you take them home. says, but wait, if we're discussing where it's, he has to wear them to keep them safe, well then we, it doesn't, why does it discuss a case where he's actually wearing them? Even if you're walking along the road and you find filling on the ground, you also have to take them. Says Nami, we learned in a Mishnah, if you're walking along the road and you see Tfilin on the side of the road, you take them home, um, to the nearest house, pair by pair. Uh, you'd wrap them on and walk them to the nearest house, take them off, go back, get the next pair. So we see that if we're discussing Tfilin that need to be kept safe, it doesn't, we don't have to discuss Tfilin that are on your head. We can discuss Tfilin that are even left on the ground. You can put them on and take them. So it's Lokasha. There's no difficulty. Ha. This that we say you leave them in the nearest houses, the Mintera Machmas, Ganvil Machmas, Kalvi is where they will be safe from dogs and from thieves and dogs. And ho the mint and the other case where Abaya says you can take them home, the Mintera Machmas Kalvi below Mintra Machmas Ganvi, where they will be safe from dogs, but they're not safe from thieves. what would you have thought? Since most of the Thieves, the gangsters in this city are Jews. They won't mezalzal, but in their tefillin, Kamash Malana Bai comes to teach that you can take them home. And, and Rashi points out, Since they're not safe from thieves. Right, so where these tefillin are left, they're safe from dogs, but not safe from thieves. Then, Once they're already on his head, then you take them home. But However, if you find them where they are safe from dogs, so wherever the tefillin were left, they're safe from dogs. They might get stolen, but they're not going to get degraded by dogs. Then you can't put them on to take them home. You have to leave them there. So that's the difference. The primary difference is, again, um, if your tefillin are on your head already, then if for any reason they're not safe where you would leave them, you can walk them all the way home. Whether, uh, however, if you find tefillin on the side of the road and they save from dogs, they're in a box or they're higher up on the wall, whatever it is, they might get stolen or something, then you can't put them on to take them home. You could, um, you would just leave them, you, you would leave them where they are because they save from dogs. And just a very interesting thing, there's a big discussion wearing tefillin on cholamoid. I don't know if you notice, some people do, some people don't. Um, quite uh, so very interesting the Hagois Ashri over here and there's no clear proof in Shas the Rishonim try to learn it from certain places there's a Zohar that implies one way it's a big discussion whether you should be wearing Tefillin and there are those who try to bring proofs from uh, the different Sugyas so here um, the Hagois Ashri it's a commentary on the Rosh he brings very interestingly on Al Sugya um, yeah, he says here. Um, he says, Al Mishnah said anything that if they necessary for the festival. I, we're saying anything that's a gift you can take on, but it, the, the Mishnah seems to imply it has to be necessary for the festival. And tefillin are necessary for the festival. 
So that's why he says it must be when it says that you have a use for the week. It doesn't mean literally the weekday. I regular day. It says it must be speaking about Cholamoid. And that's what it's saying. You can send Tfilin as a gift on Yom Tov. You're right, not because you'll use them on Yom Tov, but because you'll use them on Cholamoid. And when our Mishnah means for, the, for what's necessary for the festival, it means what's necessary for Cholamoid. So now we've, he's kind of tied the two teachings together. The one that implies you need it for the festival, and now the teacher says as long as it's necessary for the weekday. So he's kind of drawn the, the middle line as we're discussing Cholamoid. And he says, From here it's a proof that you should wear Tfilin on Cholamoid. Like I said, uh, it's a big discussion. There are other Gomorrahs that other people bring, um, other Poskim and Achronim bring uh, sources that you don't wear Tfilin on Cholamoid. But um, the general accepted Minag in Israel is to not wear Cholamoid. I think in South Africa, at least in the Ashkenazi community, the general accepted Minag is to wear Tfilin without a brocha on Cholamoid. But there are various Minagim. Um, regarding Tfilin on Cholamoid. Okay, Hadron Aloch Beitzah, Hadron Aloch Beitzah, Hadron Aloch Beitzah. Let's start the second parak quickly. So the second parak discusses a famous uh, thing we do on, on Yom Tov called, well, on Erev Yom Tov that just before Shabbos called the Eruv Tavshilin. Now, we know, we've seen very clearly you're allowed to prepare food for Yom Tov on Yom Tov. But you're definitely not allowed to prepare food for Yom Tov on Shabbos, oh Mervin, perfect timing. We're just starting the second parak, um, top of Tez Vovamud Beis. Um, so, so as I was just mentioning, this parak we start with the discussion of Eruv Tavshilin. Now, obviously, we're, we we're discussing Eruv Tavshilin is a rabbinic permit to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. So, when Yom Tov's on a Friday, you have to be able to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. So. Why do we need that permit? Firstly, it can't be that it's Osur de Oraisa to cook. Because if it was Osur de Oraisa to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos, the rabbis can't come along and say, well, actually, you're allowed to. No, if it's Osur de Oraisa, it's Osur de Oraisa. So it must be only Osur de Rabbonin. And we have two explanations, not in Al Gomorrah, but it's important to understand, it will it will, it's like one of the foundations to understanding this sugya. So two principles, why Chazal would have said that you, why do Oraisa you can cook? And then Chazal came along and said, no, but only if you have Eruv Tavshilin. So this is a discussion in Psochim. Rabbah says, really on Yom Tov you can prepare as much food as you want. Rabbah's principle is called Hoyle. But you can prepare as much food as you want, even if you're preparing it for after Yom Tov. That's your main intent, is to prepare it for after Yom Tov. As long as there's a chance, you will use it on Yom Tov. I, as long as there's a chance, visitors will arrive and you could use it. So I want to have uh, burgers on Motzei Yom Tov. According to Rabbah, I can prepare burgers on the Yom Tov morning, ready for Motzei Yom Tov. Because there's a chance that over the day, visitors might come and I'll need to serve them the burgers on Yom Tov. So that's rubber. Hoyle, since it's possible that visitors will arrive, you can cook on Yom Tov. So really, again, I can cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos, as long as there's a possibility that someone could come and I'd need to serve them that food. 
So that's why Doraisi is allowed to cook. And the rabbis came along and said, however, only with the Eruv Tashilin. Rav Chizda comes along and he says, no. He says, actually, it's really, if, if you can't just cook for Motzei Yom Tov and say, maybe visitors will come. That's not a good enough reason. You're telling me I can spend my whole day, uh, my whole day uh, cooking and doing whatever I need for Cholamoyed just on the chance because someone might arrive in the middle of the day and I need to serve them food. He says, that's not a good enough reason to cook on Yom Tov for Motzei Yom He says, you're not allowed to. If your intent is to cook for Motzei Yom Tov, you're not allowed to do it. Your intent has to be to cook for Yom Tov. He says, however, you are allowed to cook for Shabbos on Yom Tov. When we say you're not allowed to cook on Yom Tov for the next day, that's when the next day is whole a weekday. But you're allowed to cook, so you're not allowed to, you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Yom Tov. You're not allowed to cook on Yom Tov for the next weekday. But you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. The rabbis came along, and this maybe we'll see in the Gemara, will come a bit clearer. The rabbis came along and said, Yeah, but you're not allowed to cook unless you make a Eruv Tav Shilin. Okay, um, obviously there's a lot more to discuss. But I think let's start, let's go into the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, Yom Tov Shechol Yois Erev Shabbos Lo Yevashel Betchile Mi Yom Tov LeShabbos Aval Mevashel Hol Yom Tov Im Hoisir Hoisir LeShabbos Yom Tov that falls out on an Erev Shabbos. So it's Friday. You're not allowed to cook Betchile on purpose from Yom Tov for Shabbos. But you can cook for Yom Tov. And if it happens to be left over, that's fine. So this is the standard halacha. This is the Zayra Drabon. We've just explained you're not allowed to cook today on Yom Tov for tomorrow being Shabbos. That's the Zayra Drabon. Again, and, and we're going to see further in the commodities, it's quite strict. You're not even allowed to cook a bit egg saying, look, I need, I've got five visitors for Yom Tov lunch. I'm going to cook ten portions so that I have left over. You're not even allowed to do that. You cook for Yom Tov, and if you have left over, then you're allowed to use it for Shabbos. Um, but that's, uh, that's the first point. So that's the Xayra Drabonin. You're not allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. He says, You can make a dish on Erev Yom Tov, what we call Erev Tavshilin. And rely on it for Shabbos. So as long as you made your Erev Tavshilin on Erev Yom Tov, you can use that on Yom Tov to cook for Shabbos. So that's 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 where the Eruv Tavshilin kicks in. Beishama, Omri Beishama say Shnei Tavshilin. Beishama say you have to make two dishes. Or Beisil Omri Tavshilechot. Beisil will say one dish. Veshovim betagu beitzah shalei and shahin Shnei Tavshilin. And Veshovim, they they both agree that a dug and a beitzah, either egg that they would spread over the fish, counts as two Tavshilin. Okay, but that's Aloch in Beis Shammai. The Ritva actually asks, what can we learn from this? We don't discuss Beis Shammai generally. According to Beis Hill, you only need one dish. So why would it tell us two dishes? So I'll tell you two, there are two ramifications that could theoretically be. One is we know on the Seder plate you have two cooked dishes. You have a egg and a potato. We have egg and potato. Wait, two cooked dishes, two dishes. Maybe we're speaking about the egg and the chicken bone. But... Maybe this could count as two. An egg, a fish with an egg o spread over it could also count as two. Or another one is we say on Purim, sending, you send Mishlach Monos, you send two gifts to your friend. Could be that just sending um, two is good enough. It says, so, so, okay, but that's a side point. The main point is you need to set a dish. You make a dish on Erev Yom Tov, and that's what we call Erev Tav Shilin. Obviously, we say a declaration when we do the Erev Tav Shilin. Um, and do we say a bracha? Don't remember. Do we say a bracha on Erev Tav Shilin? Anyone remember offhand? 
We do. There is. So you say a bracha on Erev Tavshilin, it's a mitzvah drabonim to make Erev Tavshilin, and therefore you could say a bracha, and you would then be allowed to cook on Yom Tov. It says, what happens if Ochla is Sha'avad? What happens if before you got to cook your meal for Shabbos, it got eaten, or, you lo- or it was lost? It says, you're not allowed to use, then cook for Shabbos. Ve'im shayr mimenu if you left over any amount, you can cook. So let's say you had made a, I don't know, a loaf of bread for your Eruv Tavshilin. And someone ate half the loaf of bread. You can still use the loaf of bread to continue cooking for, on Yom Tov for Shabbos. However, if someone ate the whole loaf of bread, you would not be allowed to. Okay, now, Minahani what's the source for Eruv Tavshilin? Rashi points out, obviously we're not asking what's the source, because it's only, as I said from the outset, the whole thing's only in Jeraponim. Toraisa, you can cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. Whether you learn like Rab or Rab Chizda, there are ways to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. Jeraponim came along and said, you can't cook without an Eruv Tavshilin. Where do the rabbis see this in the Chumash? This is Omer Shmuel to Omer Shmuel said from the following positive, Zohar Es Yom HaShabbos L'Kadshop, remember Shabbos to sanctify it. When it says remember it, it must be saying from something that would cause you to forget it. What would cause you, Rashi says, what would cause you to forget Yom uh, Shabbos? That's where it's Yom Tov. If it's Yom Tov going into Shabbos, you're going to get so caught up with your Yom Tov preparations and your Simchas Yom Tov and enjoying Yom Tov, you're going to forget about Shabbos. So that's why I remember in this scenario where you're likely to forget about preparing good food for Shabbos, so for Yom Tov, my timer, and what's the reason that or I see you can cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos? Uh, sorry, what's the reason I want Storais you can cook for Yom Tov on Shabbos? Why did the rabbis come along and require a roof tavshilin? So now, interestingly, note it's going to be a machlokes Rav and Ravashi why they said you have to have a roof tavshilin, and take note that one of them is for covered Shabbos and one of them is for covered Yom Tov. I why do we have a roof tavshilin? Is it out of honor for Shabbos or is it out of honor for Yom Tov? Says Omer It's to make sure that you set aside some nice food for Shabbos and nice food for Yom Tov. Again, so this is covered Shabbos. You so caught up on Thursday. Well, we have two days Yom Tov, but let's just keep it uh, simple. You so caught up on Thursday with one day Yom Tov because of uh, um, how it was in Eretz Yisrael, but even even with us it would be the same thing. You're so caught up with preparing for Yom Tov that you forget to leave some nice food for Shabbos. So that's why out of covered Shabbos you do the Eruv Tavshilin. So you before you're even cooking for Yom Tov, you're making sure to set aside food for Shabbos. And that will remind you. And Ravashi Omar Ravashi says, No, Kadeshi Omar ain't oifin mi yom tov, the Shabbos kavachomi mi yom tov, lechol. Ravashi says, No, it's coming out of honor for yom tov. If we're so careful about cooking from yom tov to Shabbos, that I'm only allowed to cook from, on yom tov, on Friday afternoon yom tov for Shabbos, if I've done an Eruv Tavshilin, well then, I definitely can't cook on yom tov for the following day, which is a weekday. So it's to make us more sensitive to covered yom tov. Tanan, we learned in a Mishnah, You have to make this dish on Erev Yom Tov. The Erev Tavshilin has to be made on Erev Yom Tov. Now he says, According to Rav Ashi, who says the concern is covered Yom Tov, that people don't say, Oh, look, I've got to be careful about cooking on Yom Tov for Shabbos. That makes sense. Why you have to make the Erev Tavshilin before Yom Tov? 
Because you have to set in your mind, oh wait, I have to make an Erev Tavshilim before Yom Tov, because I wouldn't generally, wouldn't be allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos, and definitely not on Yom Tov for the weekday. So we see why you have to make the Erev Tavshilim on Erev Yom Tov. It says, But according to Rava, well, who cares? Why does it have to be on Erev Yom Tov, even on Yom Tov itself? As long as you make sure to set aside a nice chunk of meat, a nice portion of food for Yom, for Shabbos, what does it matter whether you did that on Erev Yom Tov or Yom Tov itself? Again, the main point is for covered Shabbos that you make sure you have nice food. And once you make sure you have nice food, then you can carry on cooking for Shabbos on Yom Tov. So why do you have to do it on Erev Yom Tov? So Gemara says, Says you right. Strictly speaking, you don't have to act according to Rava. You don't have to make the Erev Tashil in Erev Yom Tov, except it's part of the Xerim because you might be negligent. Are you, again, if you're not instructed to be careful to do it on Erev Yom Tov, once Yom Tov comes in, you're going to be so caught up in your Yom Tov Su'udos and your special visitors you're having on Yom Tov and all the special things you're doing for Yom Tov, and you're going to forget to do it. And you're going to forget to leave some nice food for Shabbos, so therefore um, you have to do it before Yom Tov. Okay, so that was, we brought one source why you should do the Eruv Tavshilin a hint to in the posuk that you must do Eruv Tavshilin. Now, we have another source for Eruv, that Eruv, another hint in the posuk that it says. It says, It says, when you come in to prepare the man for Shabbat and Yotav, that which you have baked is baked and that which you want to cook is cooked. Says, What's this I could have said that which you want to cook or bake, do that. Or prepare it, whether you in cook or bake. Why does it say that which you want to a fool of fool? That which you wants to bake, bake, and that which you want to cook, cook. Why is it emphasizing that? So Rebeleza says, no, it's telling us that you're not allowed to bake unless you have started to bake. And you're not allowed to cook unless you started to book me. To cook, we can somehow chachom in the eruv tavshilim in our Torah. The chachom installed this as what we call an asmachta, a hint to eruv tavshilim in the Torah. Very interestingly, um, an asmachta. So what's an asmachta? Again, we have a gzeirah derabbanan. For whatever reason, Chazal came along and they said we need to have an eruv tavshilim. And we've discussed two reasons, Rav and Ravashi, why we need to. You're strictly speaking, you're allowed to cook on Shabbos to Yom Tov. From Yom Tov to Shabbos, not on Shabbos, from Yom Tov to Shabbos. But the rabbi said, you're not allowed to for one of the two reasons unless you make Erev Tavshilin. And then we have an Asmachta, a, a hint to it in the Pasuk. What many learn that is, is that Hashem built into the Chumash. He didn't want to make it a mitzvah Doraisa. But Hashem built into the Chumash a, a route for a mitzvah, for a Zaira that Chazal might see necessary. So in a way, it's, a, it's an opening in the Chumash. For Chazal to make the Xeris. Okay, let's go a little bit further. Tonu Rabbanon Maaseh Berebi Eliezer Shohi Yosheh Vidoresh Kola Yom Kula Bihilchaz Yom Tov. It was on Yom Tov and Rebbe Lezer was giving his drosha the whole day. Earlier on in the drosha, Yatsa Kasri Shona Amru Halu Balet Fitz. And when a first group of his Tamidim left to go home for their Yom Tov lunch, they left in the middle of the drosha. It was just taking too long. They went home. It says, oh, these are the people who have large barrels of wine. We're going to see... As students left later, Rebeleza attributed to how much wine they had at home. If they had a lot of good food and good wine at home, they're obviously going to leave earlier. If they have less, they're going to leave later. It says, Oh, the second group that left, he said, a second group got up and left. He says, Oh, they have 
barrels of wine. Says when the third group got up to leave a bit late, he says, Oh, they only have jugs of wine. Oh, the fourth group, these oh, they have only have uh, jars of wine. The first group, they must only have cups of wine. That's why they're leaving so late. They don't have much to go home for. Says when the Sixth group got up to leave. Omar Halu Balemaari says these are deserving of a curse. He looked at his Tamidim and thought that they were, that their faces were changing color. They thought he was cursing them. The sixth group who was going to leave right late on on Yom Tov Day. The drosh had been going on the whole afternoon. Um, you thought it's, it gets uncomfortable when the drosh is going from what 11.30 till 12 and you want to get home this drosh was uh, late afternoon already and the Tamil wanted to get home and he said they deserve a curse they thought he was praising the ones who left earlier because they went to celebrate Simchas Yom Tov they went home for the Sudas Yom Tov and they had been staying too long I'm not referring to you. I'm referring to those who left the drosha early. They left eternal laugh. They left learning Torah and they delving into momentarily uh, into um, momentarily laugh. I don't know what's the better way of phrasing that, but they got caught. They just worried about uh, drinking their wine. Where you caught? How can you leave learning Torah to go drink to go to Drink Yom Tov Peshas Peti Rason when he dismissed them. Finally, at the end of the drasha, Amar Lahem Lechu Olchu Mashmeinim Peshasu Mamtikim. Go home, eat the best food and drink the best wine. Veshilchu Manos Leinochon Lo. Send gifts to those who have had didn't have a chance to prepare food. Ki Kadosh Hayom Ladoneinu. It's a holy day to our Master. Va'al Tadzvu Ki Chedvas Hashem Himu Zechem. The rejoice, don't be depressed. The rejoicing of Hashem is your security. That's going to analyze each of these phrases in the Pasuk. But first thing, he says, Rebelezer criticizes Talmudim for going home for their Yom Tov meals because they're leaving eternal life and busying themselves with uh, transient life. He says, Yom Mitzvah. He isn't Simchas Yom Tov a mitzvah? So Rebbe says actually celebrating Yom Tov through physical enjoyment is actually optional. Says the Tanya Rebbe A person can choose on Yom Tov whether he wants to eat and drink or sit and learn. Rebbe Yeshua says no, you have to split your Yom Tov half dedicated to Hashem and half dedicated to yourself. And Omer Rebbe Actually, not from one posuk, but they both expound the, the drosha from the same sukim. Says one posuk says the festival is for Hashem. I implying that you should sit and learn the whole day because And the other posuk says it should be for you. I you should enjoy Yom Tov with a nice Yom Tov meal and with Simcha and Zuda. Says What do you do? holds. No, either you should designate all of it for yourself or all of it for Hashem. And Rabbi Yeshua says, no, split it. You should spend half your day in learning and half your day in rejoicing. Um, yeah. Now, before we go on to the next drasha, just a few points on this. So interestingly, um, firstly, many learn that, strictly speaking, you should try and do it by hours. You should split your Yom Tov day half-half. According to Rabbi Eliezer, no, you can choose. Do you want to spend your day in the simcha of learning Torah? Or do you want to spend your day in the simcha of 
a su'udah, having a fancy Yom Tov meal, which is also a special mitzvah, to enjoy Yom Tov and celebrate with for Hashem. Um, but on the other hand, um, Rabbi Eliezer clearly encouraged his students, you shouldn't leave your Torah learning to go to a Yom Tov meal. Tosfos point out, he says, however, obviously, granted, just as on a regular Wednesday, when you go home after Shir, you go and have lunch, so, so too on your Yom Tov, when you go after, if those who have dedicated the day to learning, when they go home, they're going to have lunch, it says, but on Yom Tov, they must have a special Su'udah. That's what Rabbi Eliezer was saying. Um, and that's... Uh, yeah, so that's this idea of what to dedicate. How do, how should you spend the ideal day in Yom Tov? Again, contrary to Beleza, you can choose. It does seem from Al Gomorrah to lean to encourage Torah learning, but you also go home and have a Yom Tov Suda. But again, your focus you shouldn't. You should focus your day on Torah learning. That's Rebeleza. He says you can choose, but he does seem to encourage Torah learning from Al Sukya. And Rebbe Shur says you split it. We mostly kind of follow the splitting one, half to Hashem and half to ourselves. We sometimes get our measurements a little bit wrong, what we spend uh, three hours at shul, maybe 15 minutes of that is a drasha, and we spend the rest of the day on our lunch and afternoon nap and our relaxing. We should probably allot a bit more time to Torah learning and uh, thing, and a little bit less time to our uh, personal simcha. But uh, that's generally what we try to is uh, spend some of the time in uh, dedicated to Hashem and some of the time dedicated to uh, to Simchas uh, Yom Tov on a physical level. Interestingly enough, when the Rambam speaks about it, he says basically along the lines of you should go. Um, I don't remember if this is Shabbos or Yom Tov. I'm just uh, just blanked on that. But he says you should go. You should go to Daven early. Go home, have a little bit to eat. And go back to the base medrash till the afternoon, and then in the afternoon go back home and have a huge sauda for the rest of the, the rest of the day. So he seems to be going at encouraging half half again because you're spending a little time in the morning, you're davening, having a little bit to eat, and then learning till the afternoon. And only in the afternoon would you go home and have your sauda Um Okay, we'll leave it there for today. Wish you a very gemachas uh, a meaningful fast. And yeah.